you are about to see the first public exhibition of an entirely new form of entertainment. You are about to see. You are about to see. That belongs in a museum. You are about to see the first public exhibition of an entirely new form of entertainment. That belongs in a museum. And welcome to another episode of Treasury Cast, the show that celebrates the greatest comics format of all time, the Treasury Edition. Proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, Rob Kelly, and it is that time of year again. No, not Halloween, and no, it's not Ryan and Deli. It's Christmas time, which means my guest is fellow network all star, Chris Franklin. Hi, Chris. Ho, ho, what do you know, Rob? <laughs> I'm happy to have you back for the, I guess this is our fourth Christmas show together that we've done for Treasury Guest. I don't think we really intended this to become a tradition. I think but, it's five. Uh, is, is it, it five now? I don't know. We did two DCs, a Marvel, and a Hanna-Barbera. Oh, that's true. I guess this would be the fifth one then. Yeah, okay. Well, we have exhausted the Marvel and DC Christmas treasuries outside of Rudolph, and I just don't know if either Chris or I really have the stomach to do a Rudolph treasury dissection. I don't know. Maybe we can, we'll, we'll deal with that next year. But in the meantime, we're here to talk about a unique one-off Christmas treasury, and that is Christmas and Archie, which was, until the mid-2000s, the only treasury edition the Archie Comics Company ever produced. It was cover dated January 1975, but it was on sale November 1st, 1974, of course, just in time for the Christmas season. And this is a real unique item. Uh, I think most people never knew that Archie ever did a Treasury Edition. I didn't know until I was working on my Treasury Comics site many years ago, and I was just doing research, and I saw this on eBay one time. And I was like, what? I didn't. What, what is this? I didn't know that Archie ever did this. So I went and got one, and we're going to talk about the contents. But before we get to that, I mean, like, pretty, you know, we've, we've been in, around. The network's been around almost five years, and we have talked about Archie across the network very little, I would say. I don't think we've ever done any episodes dedicated to the company, despite the fact they've been around since the 40s. So, Chris, I want to ask you, like, what's your history with Archie, if any? Like, did you read Archie growing up? You know, I had I had Archie comics when I was really, really little. I mean, like couldn't read yet little. Uh, okay. You know, that I, I mean, um, I remember getting those, you know, along with my superhero comics. And honestly, by the time I got to to where I could read on my own, I guess there was a part of me that felt like I had moved beyond Archie, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. at age seven, you know, uh, but <laughs> But not, and I, that's a really stupid thing for me to think that to, to think that way. But you know, I, I think I have vague memories of the Archie, the filmation Archie uh, cartoons of various different versions they made for like the better part of a decade. Um, you know, so I mean, I, I, I knew Archie, and if, <laughs> and we brought this up before, but I would occasionally pick up an Archie comic book at the grocery store. And the only kind of Archie comic book that was carried at the grocery store were Spire comics. Mm-hmm. And those Spire comics were a, almost a bigger bait and switch than Superman salutes the Bicentennial <laughs> Treasury because uh, they were, I mean, more or less, you know, religious propaganda disguised yep. as an Archie comic book. Yep. 
<laughs> and it's odd that, you know, here we are talking about Christmas and Archie, but those books were a, a different stripe, you know. Uh, so, you know, and as I got older, I'm like, hey, wait a minute. This isn't a regular Archie comic book. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. So but that brings me to, you know, it's 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 kind of strange with this one, you know, with Spire Comics and Archie, this one. What, you know, when you sent this comic to me, I'm like, why does it say faucet up in the corner of this yeah, that's comic? Weird. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know what exactly is going on uh, with this book. But, yeah, it's funny that you would think that um, considering that there were the Spire Archie comics, that the Christmas comic would be more of that. And yet it's not. This is a very, very secular uh, Archie set of stories. This is Spire was not involved with this in any way. Right. I mean, there's like one little segment where they mentioned the, you know. Uh, singing hymns at Christmas time, and that's about it. Yeah, so. yeah, that's really about it. Yeah, I said this is. I was the same way with Archie comics, and that I pretty much went from non-reading to superheroes. You know, there was no you know, Archie and Richie Rich and all the Harvey stuff and all the kids' humor comics. They were not. There was. They were not an intermediate step for me. They just. I just went right to Superman and Batman and Aquaman and whatever. I will say that I did buy Archie comics when I was a lot younger when, and I don't mean this to sound as insulting as it's probably going to, but when I was desperate uh, in that I was really looking for comics to read and there were none, there were no other comics left uh, at a newsstand that I didn't already have or that I could find. And so I, when I really had a comics fix, I went to Archie and Harvey and those kinds of companies, you know, because I was like, all right, I want to read a comic book of some sort. So I'll read an Archie every so often. And I look back on them now and yeah, it, it, that is ridiculous to kind of like turn your nose up on them. But of course, when you're like 11, you don't, you know, you, you were like, I'm too big for these, you know, I'm, I'm into more sophisticated fare, like Brave and the Bold, you know, I can't, I can't be reading <laughs> Archie, but you look at them now and you can appreciate them for what they are. And especially when you think about that, Archie has essentially been the same company for what, 80 years now. Yeah, uh, I mean, over the last, obviously over the last decade or two, they've really expanded their reach with the darker ones and there's the Riverdale show and they've done lots of new things. But generally, you know, it's not like they've ever had, you know, crisis on Archie universe where they had to like reboot the universe. It's basically all the same stories. And you'll see that in these in these tales where it's kind of this the same gist across the decade. You can you'll be able to tell by some of the artwork that they're, they've pulled these from various eras of Archie comics, but it's all sort of basically the same thing. And on the one hand, it's kind of a bad thing if you're looking for variety, but on the same, on the other hand, it's a good thing because it's very reassuring. It's, you know what you're going to get when you're buying an Archie comic. Right. Exactly. Everybody stays in those same roles or parentally teenagers and the, with the same teachers and the same principal. And yeah, it is, it's, they're, they're frozen in amber. And yeah, it's, yeah, you know, it's funny. You said that about buying comics you know, just Archie comics when you couldn't find anything else. I I think I did, you know, in, I think like around the time the DC digest dried up and, and, uh, you know, Marvel, you know, went into digest like right after that, which is really strange. But after that, I did pick up a few Archie digests here and there because I, I, I was, I was jonesing for a digest fix, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Yet, you know, so I picked up a few Archie digest after the fact, cause I was like, I need a digest comic fix. So <laughs> Yeah, I'm glad. You know what? It's funny that you said that because it just reminded me of a story many, many years ago. Uh, I was uh, a friend of mine, uh, a friend of mine from from high school. His mother had passed away and we were going to the funeral and he had two small children. And the smallest of the, the younger of the two was probably like four or five. 
And she, um, you know, being a four or five-year-old, it's kind of hard to keep a four, and f- a four or five-year-old uh, sedate at a funeral, obviously, mm-hmm. because they're four. They don't really understand what's going on necessarily. And he had told me that his daughter loved Archie comics. She just like, because he was a big comic guy. And so she loved Archie's. And on, so on the way to the uh, funeral, way to the, yeah, way on the way to the funeral, I happened to pass by a supermarket. And I thought, boy, you know what? There might have, they might have Archie's in there. And I walked into the supermarket and I went right to the front register, you know, where they have like the soap opera digest and the back, back then there was still TV guide, I think. And mm-hmm. there were a bunch of Archie digests and I bought four or five of them and brought them. And we gave them to the young, the young girl. And she just sat there reading Archie comics while her parents could focus on, the more grim business of the funeral and it ended up working out perfectly because it gave the kids something to do and it distracted her during, during all this. And I remember thinking what a wonderful thing service that Archie provides is that while all other comics have left the supermarket racks, they're still there. There's, they still have that real estate. And there was something so wonderfully, again, reassuring about knowing that I will walk into a supermarket and odds are they will have Archie digest. And they did. And for like $7, I bought the kid like 800 pages worth of material. <laughs> so, you know, it was, you know, it's sort of like good, good on you, Archie, that you've kept the faith and you, they've managed to carve out this readership for itself that none of the other companies have been able to match. We saw last year or two years ago, you know, Marvel tried to digest again and they folded up shop after like eight issues. And you're, you know, we're talking 30 years later, 40 years later, Archie's still doing them. Archie's still cranking out digests. Yeah, and Marvel had to have Archie's help to even do it. Right, right, exactly. So, yeah, so Archie's kind of like, uh, to to borrow a term from our buddy Brian Hyler, they're kind of the rack toys yes. of, uh, of comics. Totally. Hey, <laughs> they're, they're, they're right where, you know, a parent or, you know, an adult needs to needs them to go grab them for a kid, uh, where a kid can grab them when they're with their the uh, parent or guardian or whatever. And yeah, that's, I mean, they, they definitely have their own little segment and yeah, we, you know, we, we probably have neglected them too much on the network, but you guys are going to do the impact and who's, who's who in impact. <laughs> we are going to get to that. make up for that. Yeah. I did have some of the Archie superhero books, the mighty crusaders and the fly and the shield and all that. When they mm-hmm. revived those in the eighties, those were pretty cool. So, but yeah, as far as Archie Andrews, yeah, kind of, other than a few dodges, kind of moved out of it pretty quick. <laughs> Someday I actually want to do an episode on the Spire comics because, and I've mentioned this on episodes of Mountain Comics, there was a store uh, up in the up in the Poconos that my parents used to go to, a candle shop that my mom always liked to visit and visit. And uh, I would, of course, go with them. And, you know, what's a what's like a nine-year-old going to do in a candle shop? You know what I mean? It's like boring. Mm-hmm. So they had a rack of comics. Again, you know, the preeminence of comics still into the seventies that you, they would have a rack of comics in a candle shop, but they knew that probably some kids were getting dragged to this candle store and they had to give them something to do because what do kids don't want to look at candles, but they were all the Archie Spire comics. And like you, I remembered looking at them and being like, why are they mentioning Jesus so much? Like, what is this about? So I, I would love to do a show on those just to reread some of them. But anyway, okay, let's talk about this treasury. It's Christmas and Archie. Again, I said it was published in 1974. Isn't it interesting that it's, Christmas and Archie instead of Christmas with Archie, like yeah. with and like it's like it's a team up or something. 
Yeah, and it, it's 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 weird. I don't know if they didn't go with because DC already did Christmas with the superheroes. Well, it's the same year that they first did Christmas with the superheroes, mm-hmm. and, and because this this book was actually out while you know on the stands while I was being born because I was born in <laughs> December of nineteen seventy four. So, um, but yeah, that is kind of weird. But I did notice. I mean, yeah, the Christmas this this old English font here is is you know I mean it's typical old English, but. It's very, very similar to the same font used on the Christmas with the superheroes yep. that DC put yep. out. But yep. yeah, and then they got the Archie logo, Christmas and Archie, you know. Archie, <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh, on the cover here, and we'll have uh, some of the images on the website, fireandwaterpodcast.com. This comic, by the way, is impossible to find online in any, for, in any uh, scanned form. Uh, it just doesn't exist anywhere. So I have, I will have at very least the cover and the back cover. I, the other images, if I have some, they might literally be, pictures i have to take with my phone of pages and upload because you just can't find these anywhere else and and we'll we'll talk about this in depth later on uh sourcing these stories is impossible there's no way of knowing where any of these stories came from because because uh, they're archie comics but anyway so the cover it's got uh, some it's a christmas tree and there's some balls hanging off as ornaments and we see archie and veronica and of course betty and reggie and mr weatherby dressing as santa and jughead it's only a dollar. It says a special, an Archie special edition. It does say faucet on the cover again, which is a very, very strange little detail. Even though on the indicia it says published by Archie Comics, so I'm not sure where faucet came into this exactly. But there's their, you know, there's their name right on the cover. It's weird to think of Fawcett still being involved in comics while DC's publishing Shazam right at this moment. Yeah, they're really <laughs> drinking their milkshake over there. That's just sad. Yeah. So, uh, so on the inside cover, there's a little puzzle. It's a Christmas tree puzzle, and you're supposed to find the hidden names of the Archie gang. And it's not, you know, again, this is aimed at small children, so it's not hard. You see Archie Jughead and Mr. Weatherby and stuff like that. And then the first story is, um, and by the way, we are not going to do in-depth discussions of the plots of these Archie stories. <laughs> There's just not a whole lot to discuss. It's really more just kind of an overview. The first story is Archie and I'll take the rap. And the whole deal is that Betty and Veronica have spent a lot of time carefully uh, wrapping their presents. So they look beautiful and Archie and Jughead being typical guys, of course, tear into the wrapping, like, uh, you know, like uh, rabid beavers and the girls get all upset because the wrapping has been, they don't want to get the wrapping ruined. And it's, you know, when you're classic boys versus girls sort of mentality, I would say that the artwork is by Dan DiCarlo, but I have no idea because none of these stories are credited. And of course, Dan DiCarlo eventually became the house style at Archie. So they trained everybody to draw like Dan DiCarlo. So I don't know who drew this, but it looks like your your classic Archie style sort of gag thing. It's about I think it's like six pages. I do think it was weird that um at the end of the story, Jughead gets a fur coat, which is like that's like a, I think to people of a modern age, it's like was that a thing? Like people got that as a present. I mean, so uh, I mean, I, I almost hate to ask you, Chris, because like what what is there to say about this story? But what did you think of the first story? Well, first of all, I gotta delete the twenty-page word document I wrote synopsizing this whole book. <laughs> thanks, Sorry. Rob. No, uh, Google no. Doc dot Archie dot Christmas Right, exactly. Uh, no, I, I I thought it was fun. I mean, it, I've never, you know, the whole deal is they want to save the wrapping paper for next year, you know, and it's like. Now, my family did used to, like, save the bows, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and they'd, like, put them in. And I was like, why are we saving the bows, really? I mean, because then <laughs> the sticky parts off of them, that means you got to tape them down next year. Just go – the bows aren't that expensive. If we can buy all these presents, 
mom, go buy some bows, you know, but, but we would, but we never tried to save the wrapping paper, but I do think it's funny that Archie like steams it off. But as far as uh, Jughead's fur coat, maybe that's a Joe Namath thing. Uh, Cause Joe Namath wore a fur coat. And oh said, God, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> and now he's trying to sell you, uh, you know, Medicare uh, supplements. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I just saw that last night on Sven Gulli's. He's a, he's on that show every every uh, thirteen minutes pushing uh, yeah Medicare gap fixes or something. Yeah, my dad hates those commercials. Like that son of a is a freaking millionaire. He never had to use Medicare in his life. You know, this, this. <laughs> you got to get your dad on one of these shows one day. I know. <laughs> so yeah, it's a cute story. It's it's certainly sort of true to life, and that yeah, I've experienced that where I've torn into packages and. Uh, my mother or my fiance or other women in my life have been like, Oh, we got to reuse that bag. And I just kind of roll my eyes like, all right, okay. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah, we good. definitely reuse bags. That's something we yeah. don't tear the bag up. You know, we keep the bags, but yeah, yeah not wrapping yeah. paper. So, okay. <laughs> so the next story is love finds a way. And the whole gist of this is that uh, Jughead's uh, erstwhile paramour Ethel uh, wants to give a present to Jughead and Jughead wants to avoid her. And Betty gives Jughead the grief because it's like, Hey, you're being mean to Ethel. And this is, I would love to know where, where Archie is with Ethel nowadays. Cause the whole joke essentially of Ethel is that she's unattractive. That's the joke really. That, that's why Jughead doesn't want to be with her. Other than the fact he doesn't care about girls. He just cares about hamburgers, but that joke doesn't, that doesn't fly nowadays. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's not a thing, but no. that was a, that was a, that was a standard joke from Bugs Bunny cartoons all the way up until the seventies where you had the kind of like, gangly unattractive girl chasing the boy and the boy wants nothing to do with her uh and again you know you look at it now and it doesn't really age totally well but you have to remember this story was probably done in like 1962 right yeah i mean I, honestly jughead is no catch himself by, no you know, no, no Archie Andrews, that's yeah he's he's not like the whatever whichever zach or cody plays <laughs> jughead <laughs> on riverdale now i can't remember it's one of the sprouse kids i can't twins i can't think which one it is but but yeah, I mean, he, he definitely in the comics, I never thought Jughead looked like that. Uh, but, uh, you know, so yeah, I feel sorry. I remember Ethel being like, didn't they call her Big Ethel usually mm-hmm. or something like right, that? Right, because she's yeah. super tall, right? Yeah. She, she's really tall and lanky. And I do love the panel when she's coming out of the house and she's like in motion. She's so happy right before the snow like drops on top of her. It's like, but yeah, it, it, yeah, this, I'm glad they weren't overly cruel to her in this story and that Betty and Archie were basically, especially Betty given, Jughead grief for, you know, you know, trying to avoid her. But at the end, the poor girl still misses her date and Jughead gets out of it, which kind of sucks, you know? Yeah, <laughs> so. yeah. come on. Yeah, what are you uh, there's a Archie snowstorm maze. You know, again, it's a standard trope for these comics that they had these, be- you know, extra pages and they had little gag things or puzzles and stuff for kids. And this is probably something that maybe ran in a regular Archie comic and then just repurposed it. Or maybe it was original to the treasury. I don't know. Um, then there's a one page gag strip featuring little jinx, uh, who is a character that I don't know if little jinx has survived to nowadays. I don't know if anybody, you know, it's like, she's still in Archie comics or whatever, but she was just kind of like a, like a little toddler, a little bit slightly older toddler kind of thing, but it's just like a one page gag strip. And you can tell immediately that this is obviously from an earlier era because the artwork just looks older. I can't even really point my finger as to why it looks older, but I just know that it does. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's like the dad's haircut and and things like that. It just, yeah, it does. This might be like more like, uh, was Pete Montana, was he like the original Archie guy, I think? No, I think so. Uh, yeah, yeah, maybe it's, yeah. It's more like his style, I think, yeah. Could be. Uh, and then we get Betty and Veronica in an old-fashioned Christmas. And this is this is probably the most interesting story in the book where – 
they kind they open the these books, these history books, these photo books, and they go through what Christmases were like for people of previous generations. And that's when the art style changes up a little because you get these uh, interior pages and we see like, you know, earlier American history. And there's comes with like a little poem and it's done in this sort of like kind of like um, almost calligraphy type style, old timey language, uh, not language, old timey kind of lettering type thing. And we see people, you know, around a wood burning stove and things like that. And it's all about acknowledging and appreciating history and this was the one story that made my 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 head snap back a little because at the end the final two panels it says betty is talking to the kids and she says you know this christmas instead of knocking our heritage maybe we ought to honor it and i thought well okay this story has to have been printed in like 1968 you know i'm imagining this was the archie comics editors kind of knocking on hippies and right. the sort of idea that, like, you know, oh, these kids today, they don't appreciate American history. We'll show them. You know, this was the one thing where I was like, that's that's his most political commentary as Archie's going to do. But it, it just I noticed it in that it was like, well, who's knocking our heritage? What was that a thing? But I guess maybe in the late 60s, it was perceived that that was, in fact, the thing to do. Yeah, and, and, and uh, Reggie brings up, uh, what about the generation gap, which I, you know, <laughs> I think is interesting. It's like, I, I haven't heard that term forever, I guess. I mean, right. and, and I live in it, you know, but, uh, <laughs> but, but, you know, but with a 19 year old, I live in it. But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's, this is the preachiest, uh, story in here. I mean, Betty and Veronica both break the fourth wall. Uh, mm-hmm. Like at the very first page, so this was way before She-Hulk or Deadpool did that. Uh, <laughs> so, so there you go. They were pioneers there. But yeah, but Betty's like, you know, uh, you know, it's like quit being such a, you know, stop burning your bras and you know, go knit by the fireplace with Grandma. You know, that's. <laughs> I would love that's if a, there was a panel where Betty Veronica said that. That would be amazing. Stop burning <laughs> your bras. That'd be amazing. And the thing that um, the other thing that that occurred to me as I was reading these stories was. Uh, and as a, as someone who, you know, as a professional graphic designer, like you are, Chris, and like I was for many years, you can appreciate like how difficult must it have been for the people that worked in Archie, Archie's offices to keep track of these stories because you can't really tell for the most part where any of them might have come from. You know what right. I mean? Like, it's like, imagine trying, like, I, I noticed on Mike's Amazing World, there is a listing for this comic, Christmas and Archie number one, but it doesn't list any of the stories because, of course, there's no way to know. They're, they're not credited. And there's, it, unlike in DC and Marvel, where they would put that little box at the bottom, you know, first appeared in Marvel Team Up number four. They don't do that here. So you have no idea where these stories come from. And because of the art is so on purpose, same, samey, there's no way to know. And I, I, as a graphic designer, it makes me think, what a nightmare it had to be for the person that like organized the Archie stats back in the office to keep track of all that stuff. Because what if somebody comes to you and he's like, Hey, uh, what's that story where, uh, you know, Archie dresses up as a, as a, this to do that. You're like, I have no idea. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> yeah. if somebody came to you at Marvel and said, um, what's that one with Spider-Man and the Hulk? You're like, well, all right, that's still a lot of comics to go through, but there's a limited number where that could be a thing, Spider-Man and the Hulk doing this thing. But what's the one where Archie uh, tries to fool Betty? How the hell do I know? You know what I mean? <laughs> like, you know, it's like, so I imagine that their, the indexing system at the Archie Comics offices must have had to have been pretty watertight because otherwise you'd never find anything. And what would happen? What would happen, Chris, 
if a bunch of Archie pages got mixed up, how would you know how to reorient them? <laughs> exactly. I mean, if it happened in Marvel, you'd say, well, that's a Gil Kane page, so that doesn't belong with this John Buscema page. So those are clearly separate. But I mean, you know, if somebody knocked over a file cabinet and all the Pargy original art spilled out, what are you going to do at that point? How do you... <laughs> I mean, I guess it's kind of the same thing. Like if you like literally like it, like the uh, animation film from like a Hanna-Barbera cartoon was mixed up, like different episodes were all jumbled and you had to re-edit it together. You you wouldn't know. know, It's kind of the same thing. The only thing I think that might help them at Christmas with a Christmas comic is they, they could go by the month it was released, you know, it's like, well, if it's a January, February, that's or true. March, yeah. They could kind of nail it down, but still you've got to go through hundreds and hundreds, probably thousands, thousands, thousands at this pages. point, because there's so many titles. There's pep comics and then regular Archie and Archie and Jughead. Life and, with Archie, dead with Archie, Archie Jughead and this. Yeah. And yeah. Veronica and yeah. And Archie's rival Reggie and you know, whatever, you know, I don't know. Superman's pal, Jimmy Olsen. I don't know. <laughs> just, you know, so, so many different, so many different comics you got to go through. Yeah, it would. Whoever is the historian, and I mean Archie, you know, they've put out these different compilations of Archie through the decades and different things like that in the last 10, 20 years. And Archie must have at least one historian, and whoever, yeah, whoever that is, is is they got to be E. Nelson Bridwell level of yes, uh, yep. a, a freaking comic genius. I mean, <laughs> you've got to be. So, it's got to be somebody that can look at an Archie page and within you know, a year within a year or two, be able to say that's from 1988. Like that, that eye is that good you, yeah. to, to a casual reader. Like you or I, we have no idea. Cause I, other than again, the, 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 well, why don't we not, instead of knocking our history, that's the only part that dates the story in any way. Right. Uh, but everything else you're like, I don't know. This, the, the gift wrapping story could be from 1990. I don't know. You know, right. <laughs> exactly. You yeah. Archie doesn't have cell phones. That's it. That's the only real difference. I don't know. <laughs> And that was just an incredibly nerdy thing that just occurred to me of like, I've had to, you know, organize things. I've had to go through my illustrations. And sometimes I'm like, why did I name this that? Why did I call that file that? I can't never find it again. What did I do? So, yeah, yeah, it's so, so difficult. So uh, there's some more puzzle pages. There's like a jumble. And then there's like a a, a filler up puzzle where you, you can color things. Then there's another story. It's Archie. And just like before, which is more about, um, Reggie pulling one over on, uh, or no, it's a Mr. Weatherby story, uh, and where he's, you know, of course, getting frustrated with uh, with the kids as 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 usual. And then there's immediately follows there's a when you got a glow story, and you can tell cl- this one the when you got a glow was clearly I'd say probably the oldest story in the book because mm. the art style is just a little different, um, and it's sort of funny like there's. It is kind of a, a thing that I've seen on, on online where it's like it's fun to take panels of uh, Archie comics out of context because sometimes it's just, you know, when you see things out of context. And there's a panel here where um, Archie and Jughead are tied up with some Christmas lights and Veronica is going to plug it in. And there's a panel. <laughs> there's a panel where Veronica's dad, the rich old guy, is coming <laughs> around a corner and he's looking around and he's looking at Veronica and she's bending over to plug in this light, but there's no other context to the panel. So it really does look like he's looking lovingly at his daughter's hindquarters. I mean, there's no other, no other way to say it. I'm sorry. Right, right. And, you know, the one thing that I always forget when, when I read an Archie comic is there was a certain amount of 
you know, good girl sexiness. Oh, totally. About, about the way they drew Betty and Veronica. I mean, they're they're very curvy. They're they're very well endowed in in the chest department. I mm-hmm, mean, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, it's you know, you kind of tend to like they're so wholesome. You don't yeah. think about that, but yeah, yeah. I mean, here's here's uh, Veronica in a tight green sweater, and and uh, she looks like uh, Mary Tyler Moore from uh, the Dick Van Dyke Show yes. with a little tight yeah. uh, slacks on. You know, yep. Yep, uh, yep, yep, that's yep. kind of what she looks like. But yeah, it, I always thought that uh, Mister Lodge looked like Alan Napier as Alfred. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. he's, he's he's Alfred, but dressed like Bruce Wayne. Right, like exactly. He's got the ascot, and, yeah, and the smoking the whole, jacket, yeah. smoky yeah. jacket. Yeah, so, yeah. I never thought of it though. That's true. Uh, there's another one little one page little jinx story. Then there's Veronica in Holiday Joy Boy, which is a fun title for a story. Uh, yeah, that'd be taken differently now. Yeah, woo. Uh, the whole gist of this is, is that Archie is a giant klutz, and that he's when he visits Veronica, he's sort of accidentally destroying all of. Mr. Lodge's nice stuff. I, I never knew. Is that like a thing with Archie that he's a klutz? Is that one of his? I guess there's two different stories in here where he's a klutz, you know, the yeah, last, yeah, I didn't know that. I didn't yeah. Know I didn't, I didn't really either. And, and, uh, man, I don't see, I, is, is Mr. Lodge alive in the modern continuity? Cause I don't know how he didn't die of a heart attack after the, <laughs> the connection all, fit he has. Yeah. In this. <laughs> it's all this nice stuff. Yeah. I said, I, that was like a news to me. I was like, I didn't know that. Or is that a thing? Uh, then there's a Miss Grundy story in a clothes call. And I would, I would argue this is probably the best story in terms of just the 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 deeper theme, I hate to even say it, the deeper theme is that they take Veronica and Betty take Miss Grundy out for clothes shopping, and they kind of put her in a more modern outfit. Uh, again, this is probably like a '60s one story, and they dress her up in modern clothes, and then she feels ashamed because she seems so different. And it all turns out she gets embarrassed because she's like, oh, God, I feel ridiculous. And then Betty and Veronica are like, no, 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 you look great. You look super. You look fantastic. And she she realizes that all she needed was that little boost of confidence. And then she feels, you know, uh, alluring and attractive. And it ends with with uh, Mr. Weatherby asking you to take her to dinner. And that's probably like the cutest story. And it's got the most to say to a young kid of like, hey, if you want to express yourself through your clothes, Go ahead and do that, and don't worry about what someone else might think. And it's, so it's sweet that the girls are so nice to Miss Grundy because they they realize Miss Grundy feels bad about herself, and they want her to feel good about how she looks. Which is just it's a sweet story. Yeah, I like this one. Yeah, this one, you know, kind of is the anti Big Ethel story in some yeah. ways. You know, because <laughs> it's got a nice message. Although I do think uh, when Miss Grundy gets a makeover, she kind of looks like Phyllis Diller in Mad Mo- Monster Party. <laughs> you know, but <laughs> my husband Fang. <laughs> You're different. You know. <laughs> so, uh, then there's another one page. There's a Santa is on his way maze. And I, I have to say, I've noticed that on all the pu- – not all, but a lot of the puzzle pages have nothing to do with Archie. Mm-hmm. Like there's no connection to Archie, which makes me think these were lifted from some old coloring book or activity book that maybe Fawcett published. Maybe. You know, back, And they just were like, okay, just stat that in because it's it's just weird to me that like there's – Stuff here that has nothing to do with Archie. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I, I can get that definitely. Yeah, it's Santa's eye. The the fact that Santa's <laughs> eye is still there is kind of disturbing. It's like the silhouette of Santa Claus in yellow, but these eyeballs still in the middle, and it's like, ooh, it's kind of weird. Yeah, DC uh, would do that sometimes. They would throw in a puzzle page that it would just be like Santa and Rudolph mm-hmm. in like the middle of a Superman book, and I'd be like, wait a minute, you know, like wait, wait, come on. Uh, then there's Archie in old standby. And that's one where Archie 
uh, is trying to get a present for Jughead and he's having difficulty because it's kind of like a gift of the Magi thing where he keeps getting the thing that he thinks Jughead wants and Jughead's like, oh no, I don't have that anymore or whatever. I'm not into that anymore. And then he finds up getting uh, Jughead just stuff for cheeseburgers because of course that's all that Jughead really wants. Uh, then there's a, um, a Reggie story, Understanding Candy, which is Reggie trying to pull a prank on Archie featuring like some uh, like red hot type uh, candies and they end up on Mr. Weatherby's desk and he doesn't want to get in trouble with Mr. Weatherby. So he ends up eating them and it did all kinds of hijinks. And so my favorite part of the Reggie story is Reggie's shirt. Oh God. Um, yeah. Is the, the red, white, and blue polka dots with a yellow ascot. That is a hell of an outfit. That, yeah. It's he literally, I think he recycled uh, wonder bread bags and made a shirt. <laughs> <out of them. laughs> yes. That's what it looked like. <laughs> Never thought about that. Yeah. Uh, then you've got Yuletide full time with Betty and Veronica, which is, uh, again, this is Mr. Weatherby. This is the final story in the books. Mr. Weatherby, uh, Christmas story ends with one of the, one of the, I think it's the only story in the book that features a panel that's bigger than your standard kind of nine, six panel grid where the Archie climbs on top of a tree. Again, he's a klutz and he knocks the tree over and the panel is more than half the page. Mm-hmm. And it just, you just didn't generally see that in Archie comics very much. So it just jumped out at me. It's like, oh, okay. Once in a while, they could kind of do something, you know, like a kapow kind of thing. Yeah. I, I don't know. I'm not really familiar with this lunch lady uh, here, uh, but uh, she kind of looks like a Popeye character. She actually yeah. kind of looks like Popeye with a fright wig on, uh, <laughs> which is, which is kind of interesting because she's got this like permanent grimace on her face and she makes a wreath, uh, a pizza in the shape of a wreath, which of course Jughead eats. And then her and, her and uh, Miss Grundy are fighting over the affections of Mr. Weatherby dressed as Santa Claus, which is kind of interesting. So. <laughs> okay. All right. Whatever floats your boat, everybody. You, you do you. Yeah. You yeah. do you. Yeah. Uh, and then on the, the last page of the actual comic is a big full page ad for Archie Digests. So, of course, once again, back to the digest, Archie knew where its bread was buttered. Uh, obviously, uh, this they weren't they weren't planning on doing more treasuries, and maybe if this thing had sold really well, they would have done more. But I'm guessing maybe they, you know, some printer offered them a deal on like, hey, we have some, we have a, you know, it's like a Charlton thing. We have the the print the uh, the presses are going to be empty for a couple hours on Tuesday. You guys want to print something? Well, we could do a treasury. We could throw that together. Maybe they were looking at Marvel and DC that were at that point both into the treasury business and thought maybe we can get some of that. But nevertheless, they still run an ad for their digests because they were like, that's that's the money they're making. And it's funny because the digests they're selling are specific issues. Archie yeah. number 10 and Jughead number 6, which is like, that seems like, I know that um, Treasury stayed on the stands longer than typical comics. They stayed on the stands for at times months. In some, t- some cases, I think years. So maybe they were figuring, you know, this ad will be good forever. And Archie, unlike other companies, did do direct business like you could order direct comics from archie dc marvel didn't offer that really but it's sort of funny again in the middle of a treasury they're offering an ad for a digest yeah that that's i i didn't realize the archie digest went back this far either i guess i mean you know it's like dc didn't really they did a few like tarzan digest i guess around this time but they didn't get into it really for about four more years so um or actually more like, I guess, five more years. So, um, yeah, it's it's interesting to see that, you know, they're already up to, like, issue 10 or whatever of yep. Archie, yep. Archie Digest. And, I mean, this thing's been going on for probably 46, seven years at this point. So. Yeah. yeah, they were big on big on the Digest. Uh, the inside cover is another 
a, a color page, which again has nothing to do with Archie. And then the back cover is Archie, and it's sort of um, I don't even really what it is. It's like a just like a di- not a diagram, but it's it's got all these random elements, and you've got like a sort of little captions narrating of uh, all these are all the Christmas elements. You've got Christmas cheer, goodwill towards men, Christmas past, Christmas future. Uh, visions of sugar plums, jingle bells, which is Archie looking at Ben and Veronica. And then he's holding a globe, which says peace on earth, which makes me think again, this was probably called from maybe the late sixties, very early seventies. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, that's Christmas and Archie. I mean, it's, it's pretty much what you would have expected uh, when, when you might see it on a stands. Like I said, I saw it on eBay and I bought it blind. Cause I was like, I, it's an, it's a treasure. I don't know. Let me, let me get it. Uh, it, it is relatively hard to find. It's not expensive to find. You can find it on eBay for like $10, $12, $13. So it's it's not something that's incredibly valuable, even though it is scarce. But like I said, Archie must have decided this must have not done a lot of business because they never did another treasury until the mid-2000s. And even then when they did it, it was through IDW, which was, a, as I said, it was a Dan DiCarlo special edition kind of thing. So this was really it for Archie. Uh, while all these other companies were getting into the, the, the treasury business, Archie was like, nah, we're good with the digest and the regular comics. So overall, Chris, I mean, what do you think of this as a, as a treasury edition, well, as, as a sampler of sort of the, the Archie universe? You know, th- this reminded me that, you know, I really shouldn't be such a snob and, and read more <laughs> Archies. I mean, it really did. It's, I enjoyed reading this. I mean, and I, and I really do appreciate you sending it to me. I like this. This is a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, it just, it, you know, and, and we've got some Archie books that the kids have picked up, and I think we even picked up a few at the the, ha- the Halloween free comic day thing they had, because um, our comic shop actually, um, you know, had still had that, and, and you know, they just let so many people into the shop at a time, mm-hmm. um, and uh, we picked up uh, some Archie digests and some Archie books, and it, it makes me want to like just you know sample some more random Archies here and there because. You know, they, these are just fun. I mean, it's just it's just like watching a you know a short cartoon. You know, mm-hmm. uh, like a Looney Tune short or or something like that. Not not that broad, but you know, it's just fun to dip in and into Archie. And like like we said earlier, everything's pretty much going to be the same in the standard Archie. I mean, yeah, they've yep. done the, they've done the different sagas where you know Archie dies, or in this one he marries Betty, and this one he marries Veronica, and they they explore that the the Archie else worlds, I guess, but. Uh, <laughs> But uh, yeah, Archie's still Archie, so it's fun to it's fun to jump back in and and still find out that you know Jughead's still hungry and Archie still can't make any kind of decision about you know who he wants to date and Reggie's still a jerk and yeah, it's uh, it's just a lot of fun. <laughs> Are you a Betty or Veronica man? You know, I'm a brunette guy, but I gotta say I'm more of a Betty guy because okay. just because you know now Veronica in this is not coming across as no right yeah you know sometimes they portray her as more of a oh I don't know uh, just uh, I don't hate the term you know I don't want to use a bad term for an spoiled Archie rich character. girl Let's spoiled rich girl there's a good way to put it yeah but I you don't really get that in any of these stories in this one I mean they're almost kind of interchangeable uh, mm-hmm. in in mm-hmm. this comic uh, so um, you know I, maybe I'm thinking more of the uh, whatever the skunk haired girl's name is on uh, Josie and the Pussycat, she's more of what Sabrina. I yeah, <laughs> no, yeah, not Sabrina. No, uh, uh, oh God, I'm blanking on whatever yeah, name. I is can't think her name. About, yeah. You know what I'm talking about? But yeah, I, she's more of what I think in my head. Betty usually acts like, but I don't really think she does. I don't think there's that much difference between Betty and Veronica, other than Veronica's rich. So yeah, uh, but yeah, so I'd, I'd probably go Betty, but. I don't know, based on this, maybe I'll go Veronica because I'm more of a brunette guy anyway. So <laughs> <laughs> I I would 
I would go with uh, uh, I would go with Veronica, and then then I would regret it. Uh, and that's what I know about myself. Okay. <laughs> you know, I, I think Veronica would always be my thing, and then I'd be like, yeah, I, but I just can't. No, I really should have gone with Betty. I think that would have been my my thing when I was younger. But uh, go, go for uh, choice number three. What's the redhead? Cheryl Blossom or whatever. Oh, well, that well, yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Give me a Cheryl Blossom treasury. Then, then now we're talking. So uh, yeah, otherwise I said it's a, it's a cute book. It's a fun book. It's it's. I love that it's such a one off, and then Archie just kind of dipped its toe, and then was like, "Water's cold, bah, forget it." Going back to the digest. So, okay. You know, it was cute. Like you said, I'll try and have as many images from this as I can. A guy, I apologize for the maybe lack of quality because they will, will be taken from my phone because there's just no other way to get this. I don't have a scanner anymore. So there's no way to get these images uh, processed, but I do have the cover and the back cover at least. So, oh, one final thing. The artwork, um, especially the Dan DiCarlo stuff, really kind of holds up at a bigger size. It's mm-hmm. a little surprising. Yeah. Not, maybe not, but it's really solid. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like uh, you know uh, the, the thick lines that they use on the, in the Archie style. It, it kind of really works um, at this size. I mean, because it, it, you know, there's not all these little wavy little lines that just get eaten up in the yeah. in the in the printing process when they blow it up. So yeah, it looks really it, lo- it looks really slick. It's a really nice looking comic. Yeah. By the way, Alexandra was the skunk-haired girl on Josie the Pussycats. I think people are going to be yelling at their their phones at us. Alexandra, you knucklehead. So, yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, that is going to do it for uh, this Christmas episode, our yearly annual Christmas episode of Treasure Crest. Chris, thank you once again for joining me. And uh, why don't you tell people where they can find you here on our network? Uh, They can find me on uh, JLUcast will return in January. They can find me on on Nightcast with Ryan. And I don't know exactly when this episode's dropping compared to what I'm getting ready to plug, but there is a Supermates episode, a Christmas episode. It's a House of Frankenstein Christmas special. Oh, that's so exciting. Yeah, so check that out on the network. And you and I need to get back to both Power Records and Superman Movie Minutes. Oh, boy, do we. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. It's, yeah, I realized it was like, oh, my God, it's been a year since we did Superman Movie Minute. Like, that's terrible. So, yes, we will, we will have to get back to that in, in 2021. So, again, thank you once again for joining me. I always love talking to you, and I always love doing the Christmas shows. I guess, again, next year, Rudolph or whatever, we'll have to figure out what we're going to do uh, <laughs> we're gonna do next year we'll make up one we'll make our own christmas treasury there you go perfect yeah we know enough artists we can put that together so uh (laughs) all right everybody so stay tuned i'm gonna run some podcast promos when i come back i'm gonna do some listener feedback i am vengeance i am the knight i am you need to take out the trash i don't have time for that now we have two podcasts i have to create a new promo for what? Both JLU cast and Supermates? Yes. JLU cast where you and I discussed the Justice League and Justice League Unlimited animated series from Bruce Tim and Company. And Supermates, our original show where we talk about all sorts of geeky stuff, including our annual House of Frankenstein series on classic horror films. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. But how do we combine this into one promo? I have no idea, but it sounds like we're doing our original Supermates promo all over again. I kind of think we are, but hey, other folks kind of aped it, so it must have worked. Well, why don't you get to work taking out the trash, and I'll finish up. Great. So join us, Cindy. And Chris. On JLU Cast and Supermates, both proudly part of the Fire & Water Podcast Network, found at fireandwaterpodcast.com and on iTunes.
need a podcast talking about weird stuff? Well, then we've got just the thing for you. Into the Weird, a podcast chronicling the madness and magnificence of the mighty Marvel Bronze Age of comics, featuring the voice talents of Mr. Billy Delicious. Hola. Mr. Herman Hellstrom Lowe. Hey there. And straight from the long box of darkness, his infernal majesty Dormammu. How you? And many more. But wait a minute. You might be thinking, aren't all comics infused with a grain of weirdness? I mean, Reed Richards can stretch every single part of his body, right? And why did Ultron design the vision with working genitalia? Well, you would be correct, but Into the Weird isn't just any regular comic book show, folks. We focus on the really bizarre. Here are a few examples. A sword and sorcery barbarian grown spontaneously from a jar of peanut butter. A duck running for president of the United States. Benjamin Franklin playing hide the sausage with Doctor Strange's girlfriend, Clea. A giant-sized man-thing lamenting the death of a clown. A serial killer obsessed with killing only fools, dressed as cavalier with laser guns after witnessing a priest fornicating. And so much more. So if you like the wonderful weirdness of the Bronze Age from 1970 to 1985, and characters such as Ghost Rider, Morbius, The Defenders, Man-Thing, Son of Satan, Skull the Slayer, Kill Raven, Howard the Duck, and the weird granddaddy of them all, Dr. Stephen Strange, then this is the show for you. ITW's on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, and TuneIn. Hit subscribe and join us for a comic-filled jaunt into the weird. And we're back with listener feedback, and this is going to be the feedback we got for episode 52 of Treasury Cast, where my guest was Joe Casey. So we're going to write to the comments from the website, fireandwaterpodcast.com. First up is Ado Boznar, who says, Is it just me, or do these shows keep getting better? Not just you, Ado. Uh, this episode is such a perfect storm of a fantastic book and a perfect guest to talk about it. I have to say, I share many of Joe's views on many topics covered herein. I don't dislike Kalita's inks across the board. I completely agree on the similarities, perhaps deliberate, between the Vision and Spock. And yes, the Michelini burn run on Avengers is so awesome. The discussion of Black Panther was also interesting. I'd never heard that explanation for his half-mask, but it sounds plausible. There was, by the way, a brief period not long after that when he started to call himself Black Leopard to disassociate himself from the political movement. Thankfully, that didn't last long. Something that also struck me as I was listening is why the first story from Avengers 52 wasn't included in the recent Marvel Digest that focused on the Avengers with Black Panther instead of a bunch of stories that don't really have Black Panther doing anything significant. By the way, Rob, uh, yes, I was definitely around in the 70s, born in 68, so I witnessed some cool stuff I mentioned firsthand, but also learned about so much more of it later. Not just the rights and coloring book, but also E.G. Gil Kane's Black Mark, Eisner's first graphic novel, Star Reach, the various books put out together and published by Byron Priest. Yeah, uh, co-sign uh, there, Ido. You know, I remember getting Heroes World catalogs in the very early, late 70s, early, early 80s, and they offered some stuff that I had never seen before, and I just, was, my eyes would bug out about it how much other cool stuff was out there. And that was definitely the allure uh, when I started going to comic shops the first time, was finding all this material that I, I never knew existed. Uh, next up is a comment from Martin Gray from the Too Dangerous for a Girl blog. He says, thanks for another terrific show. This was a treasury advertised in UK Marvel reprints at six pence, uh, but I never did see it anywhere. Uh, I really liked the curvy cover, but never thought about, never thought much of that second logo. I'm glad they changed it back to the original for a couple of years. 
What a great collection of tales. The minute you did the rundown, Rob, I knew why Joe Casey was there. I loved his Earth's Mightiest Heroes comics. He did a great job of making the Avengers not look like idiots in regards to Jan's wedding. I loved all the chat. Joe is obviously as big an Avengers fan as any of us. Poor John Buscema, not a fan of superheroes, and still the Marvel method forced him to spend ages thinking about them in order to fill out Roy's plot. Yeah, I mean, it is amazing that for a guy that just wanted to do kind of Conan and Tarzan and stuff like that, he ended up doing like the most Marvel-y book out there, which is The Avengers. Uh, Gord Tolton says, lovely show. This is my first Marvel treasury purchased from a drugstore on my lunch break with change from my accumulated lunch money. Usually on Fridays, I was able to accumulate enough to visit the store after they'd rolled out some new titles. As it was oversized, I had to be concerned about bullies on the school bus, so I rolled it in half and slid it up the sleeve of my jacket. The ruse worked. Oh, that makes me so sad. Um, I felt that this was a great choice of art, a great choice of stories, and I have a theory as to why. They were reprint titles on the shelves at that time, and, and for the Avengers, it was Marvel Triple Action. At that point, MTA were on the Thomas Heck run with the Kooky Quartet, so presumably the Lee Kirby run was in recent memory as well in that reprint book. These stories wouldn't be seen in MTA for quite a while, if they ever were. But at least this choice of tales gave me, a newcomer to Marvel, a peek into the history and allowing my Swiss cheese knowledge to have a few of the holes filled. Uh, yeah, that sounds plausible, Gord. Uh, you re- they probably had to realize that they didn't want to duplicate the same stories in the Treasury and the you know ongoing reprint title. So, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, Dr. Ann says, just a perfect issue. It was extremely interesting to hear Mr. Casey's connection to these stories and how he tried to retcon the wedding a smidge decades later. It reminded me of Howard Chaykin's rejected Superman reboot post-crisis. In that, everyone in Metropolis knew Clark was Superman, but they loved him so much they just went along with his ruse to amuse him. This does sound like a tremendous collection of classic Avengers stories. As you say, Rob, this is the perfect starter platter to get a sense of the heroes. For me, I could picture all the covers of the stories you were, as you were describing them. And given how many homages I've seen of them over the years, it is clear that these are iconic and important tales. This show does seem to get better each time out. Thank you, Ange. Chris Franklin from our network says, another great discussion with another great comics pro. I really enjoyed Joe's insights, particularly his need to fix the rather wonky characterization in the Yellow Jacket debut story. I really dug that first Earth's Mighty Zeroes mini, and I had no idea there was a sequel. I must search it out. I have a pretty good idea who your next guest is. He's no Joe Casey, I'll tell you that. Uh, he does pretty well for himself. Uh, Paul Hicks says, that nice try, Rob, but I'll be truly impressed when you get Bob Dylan on to talk about J.M. Demetrius comics. Never say never, Paul. Tim Stroop gives us some uh, factoids. He says that Jack Kirby covers were on Avengers 151, September 76 through 158, April 77. Marvel Treasury Edition number 7, was on sale July 22nd, 1975. So that's interesting that this treasure edition predates uh, Jack's uh, covers on the Avengers by a full year. That's kind of interesting. I think maybe, maybe, um, what Joe said on the episode was that, you know, Jack was just in the office and they were like, Hey, can you bang these covers out or something, Jack? But, uh, yeah, I would have thought that maybe they had overlapped, but apparently not. Captain Entropy says, great guest, great episode. I've enjoyed Mr. Casey's work, and now I know more about it uh, that I can hunt down. I agree with all the praise heaped on these stories and this era, but it sounds like Joe made some important and necessary improvements. The Ultron story covered was my first Ultron tale. I missed this treasury and read it in regular-sized reprint form. Roy could come across as a little pretentious because he wasn't afraid to reach for greatness, and he certainly reached here. The Ozymandias bit with the kid was effective when I was in elementary school, and the ignominy of it made Ultron seem even more chilling. Now, of an age to have seen empires rapidly rise and fall, it seems inspired. 
when I carved an Ultron jack-o'-lantern a few Halloweens ago, I had this story in mind. Oh, that's awesome. I would love to have seen that, Captain Entropy. And our last comment is from Damien Weider, who says, Great episode. I got this Treasury Edition at a car boot sale back in 1989, and I've loved it ever since. What's a car boot sale? Uh, the Treasury format was perfect for Busem as art, as it was always a little too good to reduce in size. Like Joe, I think George Klein is the best inker in this book, but he's only my second favorite Busem inker. My favorite is Al Williamson. Weirdly, considering how different these styles are, Williamson and Klein are also my one-two inking for Kurt Swan. Now I'm wondering if Buscema would have looked inked by Murphy Anderson or Swan inked by Tom Palmer. The front and back covers were apparently designed by Al Milgram. I read an interview with him recently about designing covers for Kirby, and he shared the sketch for the back cover. Apparently, Kirby didn't follow the book, so he wouldn't know who to draw or how their costumes looked without a sketch. I don't think having Yellow Jacket and Goliath together was an error. I think Goliath is intended to be Hawkeye as Goliath. I would recommend searching out the issue of Joe Casey's Deathlock, drawn by John Buscema and Tom Palmer. It's a really quick-moving, action-oriented issue and therefore plays to Buscema's strengths, and he seems inspired. Another later Buscema job that's worth finding is the issue of Thor, inked by Jerry Ordway. It's a duller story, and John is more on autopilot, but don't forget John on autopilot is better than many guys' best work. A, that is true, and B, I did, didn't realize that John Buscema and Jerry Ordway had ever collaborated. I, I need to see that. That's got to be amazing to see. Uh, my main remembrance of this treasury uh, is my stupidity. I took it to the Portsmouth Comic Con in 2019 to get it signed by Roy Thomas, but his queue was endless, and there were so many other people to talk to and buy comics from that I never joined the line. After all, I'll get to see Roy again at another convention someday. Obviously, with hindsight, I'm kicking myself. How long is it going to be before we can safely have conventions again? And even if we do, will they be allowed U.S. guests considering your level of COVID compared to ours? Uh, that may have been my only opportunity to get that beloved comic signed. Oh, Damien, I'm sorry to hear that. But yes, uh, there's lots of things, lots of opportunities we all have passed up thinking we'll have them again at another point. And now we realize that we might not. And so, yeah, but I also can appreciate that. I, um, I've been lucky enough to talk to Roy on my Mountain Comic show. Uh, I have seen him at a convention or two. And yes, his line is always so long that I, it's a little daunting to, to, realize you're going to spend the whole day if, if, uh, in it if you want to try and talk to Roy. And uh, that is going to do it for this episode of Treasure Cast, and that's going to do it for the year. This is, of course, our final episode for, for 2020. It's been a really fun year for the show. I want to extend my thanks to everyone that was my guest during uh, in this year of Treasury Cast. So thanks to Ryan Daly, Derek William Crabb, Terry O'Malley, Sean Ross, Dan Greenfield, Jennifer DeRoss, Chuck Galetta, Gord Tolton, Alex Ross, Joe Casey, and of course, Chris Franklin. I really enjoyed talking to all of you this year, and I'm looking forward to what we're going to be doing in 2021. It's going to be a fun year for Treasury Cast. So uh, again, that is going to do it. Of course, you can find all the episodes of the show on our website, findwaterpodcast.com. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Amazon Music. We're always talking treasuries over on Twitter, at Treasury Comics. And then finally, if you want to support the Find Water Podcast Network, just go to patreon.com slash fwpodcast, and there you can unlock various rewards, one of which is to be name-checked on a show of your choice. So if you want to support the network and support uh, TreasuryCast, go to patreon.com slash fwpodcast. Hope everybody has a wonderful holiday, holiday season and a safe and happy new year, and we will see you in 2021. But until then, go big or go home. Everything's
We ain't the Archies without the Jughead Beast. Whoa, Archie's here. Betty's here. Veronica too. Reggie's here. And here comes Jughead and Hot Dog too. 